Well, again, good morning. Great to see you. Let me get settled here. My name is George Davis. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to the New Testament book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. If you wouldn't mind doing that, Galatians chapter 5. Thank you very much. As you're doing that, Katie, I'm going to ask you to join me up here. Um, This is Katie Searfoss, who over the last few years has provided leadership to our children's ministry, a kid's step here at Hershey Free. And uh, this morning is the kind of sad, happy day of saying goodbye as Katie has been invited to accept uh, a leadership role at her home church back uh, in the the King of Prussia area. So uh, this morning, we're just going to have a time of prayer and thanksgiving for you with the anticipation of God's ongoing work of grace in your life. And and as I'm saying this, I'm going to ask the uh, present and former elders to join me up here on stage. We're going to have a time of prayer for Katie. As they are coming up, Katie, I just want to just thank you again for your investment in this family, this community, your investment in kids, your investment in leaders, your investment in families, and thank you not only just for your partnership and ministry, but for your friendship, and uh, I will never approach children's ministry or think about children's ministry the same because you've been here and kind of helped expand my understanding of, of what this can look like, and so we just want to say thank you, and uh, even in saying thank you, We want to just pray for God's ongoing work of grace as you go to a new environment with new people. On the one hand, it's a familiar environment, but it's also an environment where you will now provide new leadership. So guys, if you would, let's just kind of gather around. Father, as I said, we uh, we thank you for just Katie's friendship and her partnership in ministry over these last few years, for her investment and in the lives of people, even people that are seated here this morning, for investment in the lives of families. And I thank you that uh, she's really one of the reasons that Hershey Free desires to be a place where we really do partner with parents well, and thank you for that. And even as a parent, I look back over the last decade and thank you for the ways in which this church has invested in my own sons. So, Father, as she now takes this step, we just pray for your ongoing work of grace as she makes this transition. I pray that she's going to be received well, and even though there's a certain level of familiarity, I pray you're going to give her fresh eyes to see new and different things. I pray that people will be open to her leadership and that you'll just give her the grace and strength to build relationships and expand on relationships that are already there. And I pray that your work of grace, that is work in her will also be at work through her. So we commend her to your grace and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. As we get started this morning, um, I, wanna, I want you to do a thought experiment with me for a moment. Let's imagine that you and I actually met 19 years ago this week. I don't know if you remember what you were doing 19 years ago. Some of you would say, I wasn't born 19 years ago. Well, fair enough. Um, 
But let's suppose you and I actually met 19 years ago this week, and we had this conversation. I found out a little bit about you. Maybe, you know, you just got out of school or whatever you were doing 19 years ago. Then you kind of said, so what do you do, George? And I would have told you, you know, I was basically just out of school, and I was a a pastor in Fargo, North Dakota. And then that's when you would ask, so people actually live there, and I would explain, you know. That, yeah, people really do live in Fargo. And, and maybe you would have asked, so how's it going? And at this point, I would have said, well, you know, it's just been going amazingly well. I could have told you about some of the changes that, that we had been making, some organizational things we'd done differently. And I, I would have looked at you and with all sincerity said, it's really gone smoothly. And we could have had that lengthy conversation. But the reality is this. Most of what I would have told you in that conversation 19 years ago this week, most of what I would have said would have been wrong. Because a few weeks later, our church had this congregational meeting. And if I could describe that congregational meeting in one word, it would be this. I don't know how you spell that, and don't ask me to do it again. Got to save spit for the next service. So (laughs) It, it just blew up. And those changes, I thought, that weren't a big deal turned out to be a big deal. And all it took was one person to stand up and start expressing some frustration and disappointment. And it was like the fire hose was turned on for an hour and a half. And I, I walked out of that meeting, I kid you not, really just dazed. I don't know what happened. I, even, I went home, I called a mentor. I said, I have no idea what I just went through. Now, by God's grace, over the next few weeks, we were able to work through that, and our our elder team really responded well to some of the things, and we learned from some of the things that we had made how to handle things differently. But for me, it was a reminder, and we just got to acknowledge this. We, We don't always handle conflict well. We don't always handle disagreement well. And frankly, you know, frankly, sometimes church is just a place where conflict is handled poorly. We don't know what to do when we disagree with each other or get frustrated by one another. And I think when it comes to conflict and these these moments in our lives where there's tension in relationships, particularly for those of us who are followers of Christ, there can be there can be certain certain challenging relationships. As I mentioned last week, you know the reality is is, is when the gospel does its work, the gospel just brings different people together. This is why when you read the pages of the New Testament, so often you hit the theme of unity. (laughs) You hit the theme of unity because there was conflict. And part of the reason there was conflict is the gospel was now bringing people together who would not have normally been brought together before. So as Christians, when we become a part of a church, particularly, you know, you become part of a larger church, over time you're going to meet people that are different than you in terms of race or background or generation. They think differently about certain things and they approach certain issues differently. And, and the reality is the church, when it is church, brings different people together and yet that can be a source of conflict. Furthermore, I think sometimes one of the complicating factors for us can be that we, we just have unrealistic expectations. Right, we, we kind of, we, got, we get embedded with this idea that, well, you know, if we're Christians, we're not supposed to have conflict. If we're mature, right, we're not supposed to have conflict. And some of you, you, you know, maybe you even walked in defeated this morning because it was just conflict getting the family in the minivan to try and get here on time, right? 
But if, if we have this, you know, if we have this feeling that somehow when you become a follower of Jesus, if, if, you know, everything's going to be perfect, there's no conflict, I think we just need to listen to the words of Jesus. Let me just remind you of a couple of scenes in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is the gospel writer who is most focused, I think, in, t- in, in talking about the teaching of Jesus. Matthew organizes the teaching of Jesus into five blocks in his gospel. And, and you know, you go to that, that first a block, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, and, you know, we get to Matthew chapter 5, and, and Jesus talks about dealing with anger, and he kind of gives an example of going to the temple, and he says, okay, if you go to the temple, and you're going to give place your altar in the temple, um, but somebody, you know, but there's conflict in your life, somebody has something against you, you need to leave the altar and, and first go deal with the conflict. Remember Jesus saying that in Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about judging one another, and once again, it assumes there's a certain level of conflict in relationships, and, and Jesus gives this provocative image. He says, you know, don't get so focused on the speck in the other person's eye that you lose sight of the log in your own eye, and so first deal with the log in your own eye. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 18, and Jesus once again is talking about conflict, and, and he's really talking about sin and brokenness in the context of church community, and says... You know, when someone does something against you first, you need to go to them privately. And he talks a little bit about what that can look like to seek to, the, to restore them. Now, I just highlight these three different scenes in Matthew's gospel for this reason. Remember, all these gospel writers, they had, they, they had to summarize this amazing life of Jesus down to a few pages. Matthew summarizes the teaching of Jesus, hours upon hours of teaching. He summarizes it down to five blocks of material that you can probably read in about half an hour. And even though he takes all this material and summarizes it down, still in three different places, Jesus is talking about conflict. Now what that says to me is this was a regular thing Jesus talked about. So I think we we have to expect that reality. But So one of the things we we get tripped up because the gospel brings different people together, we get tripped up because... Um, maybe we have unrealistic expectations as Christ followers. And I think third, we, we, let's be honest, things can get complicated in dealing with conflict because we have not seen good models for handling conflict well. Some of us would say, you know, I, in, in my background, when, it, when conflict came, it, ours was a flight response, right? You just avoided it. You became passive-aggressive. You didn't talk about it. It just became this elephant in the room with the hope that over time we just forget about it and move on. And maybe that's the environment you grew up in. At the other end of the spectrum, maybe you kind of grew up and we just went after it. I mean, every time there was disagreement, there was just... Wow, it, was, it wasn't a flight response, it was a fight response. And, you know, there's kind of a spectrum of responses here. Maybe that's what you grew up in. What's always interesting, to be honest with you, when you work with couples as they're preparing to get married is to meet someone who came from this background marrying someone who came from this background. And we talk about how conflict was handled. And maybe this guy came from a background where we just avoided it. She came from a background where we went after it. And his comment in the, in the premarital counseling is, I can't believe it. Her family's always yelling. And she goes, we're not always yelling. That's just the way we talk about ideas. That's the way we debate, right? And, you know, and so... So for some of us, part of where we get stuck in handling conflict is just we haven't seen it modeled well. Yet this morning, we're coming back to this series we're entitled For One Another. 
right? We started by saying Jesus has this amazing vision for community. Jesus has this vision. He's not simply bringing people back to God. He's bringing people into relationship with one another. That vision is fleshed out in these various one another statements in the New Testament. And as we read the pages of scripture and and see how conflict is handled as people flesh out Jesus' vision of community, I think it becomes very clear that on the one hand, we have to expect conflict, but on the other hand, we have to work through it. So how do I do that? How do I do that when I haven't necessarily seen it modeled well? Well, I don't, I don't want to downplay the reality that this is really hard stuff at times. And I'm not sure we can fully address all the scenarios, all the what ifs, in, you know, in 30 to 35 minutes. But what I would like you to realize is this. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been given an amazing gift. Now, I know you've gotten lots of gifts in the course of your life, undoubtedly. I know some of you are even starting to do Christmas shopping now. And if you have, please don't tell me. That just, <laughs> that just makes me feel farther behind, Right? You've undoubtedly in the course of your life, you've received all sorts of gifts and some were exciting, maybe some not so exciting. But if you were following Jesus, there's this gift, believe it or not, that has already been given to you. There is this gift that can already be at work in your life. It's, It's a gift that can truly be transformational. It's a gift that can be equipping and empowering. It is a gift that can enable you to deal with conflict differently. And the gift that I'm talking about is the gift of freedom. To show you what I mean, let's now come to the letter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This is a passage where Paul is talking about this amazing gift of freedom that we receive when we become followers of Christ. But to understand that, we've got to back up for a moment and and understand the context of this letter. This letter was written to churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, would have been referred to in the ancient world as Asia Minor. And apparently these, these small house churches, like, I mean, literally no larger than many of our Live, Love, Lead groups, these small house churches have now been invaded by some very unhealthy teaching and teachers. And they've been invaded by the teaching that says, you know what, it's great that you have become followers of Jesus, but if you're really going to be part of what God is doing, you still have to keep the Jewish law. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law. 
And so now they, they are being bombarded with this very unhelpful misunderstanding that the gospel still requires you to be under the Jewish law. And so much of the, much of the direction of this book is for Paul saying this, look, God has given the law, but you're, you're now no longer under it. You've been given this freedom. In fact, in, in chapter three, Paul makes this fascinating argument. I mean, he values the law as God's revelation, but he says, he says the law is like this tutor, and he uses the language of a tutor who would have been in an ancient household, who would have had responsibility for a child up to the, up to the season of adulthood. And he said the law is like this tutor that guides and directs, but ultimately what the law does is it brings us to Jesus Christ. What the law does, it anticipates, it sets the path for what God is now doing in Jesus Christ. And now that this, now that you've grown up or now that you become part of what Christ is doing, you need to understand you are no longer under the law. You're no longer under its obligations. So don't go back. Don't step out of your freedom. Don't be enslaved. So that's, that's what Paul is getting at in this letter. And as he talks about the work of Christ, he talks about freedom. So for instance, we then get to the beginning of chapter five and Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. So once again, notice this, Paul is valuing the law as part of his history and heritage, but he's like, the gospel has now come through the work of Christ, so don't go back. Don't be enslaved. And that's, that's the context in which Paul now talks about freedom. You're not under the expectation that you have to prove yourself. You're not under the weight of thinking that your relationship with God is defined by obedience. You're not under the weight of condemnation anymore. You have been freed from all that. But furthermore, notice there's, there, there's another way that Paul talks about freedom here and another contrast at work, and that is this. Paul argues that this freedom is freedom from the flesh. Look again at verse 13, right? You have been called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, we've got to understand this carefully. Otherwise, this can sound really weird. Part of the challenge is we need to understand that the, the word flesh can be used in different ways in the New Testament. In, in some situations, the word flesh simply refers to my human existence, right? I have a bodily existence. I'm, I'm flesh and blood. And, and, and likewise, sometimes that term communicates not simply a, a bodily existence, but also the reality that there are limitations, to my bodily existence. I get hungry. I get sleepy, right? I get tired. I can only move so quickly. I age. I mean, there, there are certain limitations to physically being human. And so sometimes the word flesh means that. But at other times, the word flesh has a deeper meaning. It means life apart from God, the world apart from God. Life apart from the transforming work of the gospel, 
relationships apart from the transforming work of the gospel. So for instance, later, Paul can talk about works of the flesh, which can include hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, dissension, and faction. So Paul is saying this, look, if, you are, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given this new freedom. It's not a freedom just to do your own thing that you can abuse. Rather, if you truly accept this gift and live in this gift, it's a freedom to live as God has intended. A freedom to live as you were ultimately designed to live in relationship with God and relationship with others. To live in response to God's spirit who's now at work in you. To live a life that is not defined by achievement or performance or reputation, but a life rooted in God's grace. And so notice Paul is drawing this contrast and it's, it's kind of the old way of doing things, which is, is the flesh. And in some sense, the law could be captured by the flesh. And he says there's this old way of doing things. And in relationships, it leads to dissension and bitterness. But, but you've been given this freedom under the gospel to live in a new way. And as he talks about the contrast really between the flesh and living in the freedom that comes from Christ, the example that he gives here has to deal with conflict. Right? He says, don't abuse this freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There's one of those one another statements that we are to serve one another because the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the direction the law has been headed all along is this new reality that's now actually made possible through Christ that we can be in relationship with God and one another. But if, if I don't embrace this freedom, if I don't let it define and shape who I am, I'm going to get stuck over here. And I will handle conflict poorly. In fact, notice what, what that looks like. Verse 15, right? If you don't embrace your freedom, here's what's going to happen. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It's, it's language that can be used of animals gnawing at meat or food. To be honest with you, when I read this, I actually think of my dog. This is Lucy. Oh, I know. She's a wonderful dog, but she would never bite a person but she loves small stuffed animals. And when she gets them, she tears into them. So if you will look carefully, this animal has holes all over it and the stuffing has come out. It's a very lean stuffed animal. We have a number of these. And over time, our house just gets filled with this kind of stuff because she grabs them and she shakes and she goes after it. So by the way, if you see my wife at a garage sale buying small stuffed animals, it's not because we're getting ready eventually for that grandparent phase. It's for the dog, okay? <laughs> it's for Lucy. She just loves it. She goes through these. And... But you know, I can't help but think, isn't, isn't this what happens when we, over time when we don't handle conflict well? We all get shaken and in different ways the stuffing comes out. 
I mean, it's kind of cute when it's a dog. It's not so cute when it's people. And so Paul is telling this church, look, you've been given this new freedom to live in light of the gospel. It's a freedom that can move you past getting stuck in the old way of doing things. So really, you kind of have a choice. It, It can either be this or this. So, so how do we then engage it well? Very quickly, how do, we, how do we engage? How do we engage this well? Last week, we, we talked about accepting one another and the, the reality that much of life uh, can include you know, minor disagreements, irritations, frustrations. And I think, you know, in some situations, it's possible just to overlook certain things, and move on. But in other situations, more work is needed. Some situations I just, you know, I just can't just overlook it. So so how do I engage it well? And and what does that look like? Well, earlier, I alluded to um, Jesus' statements in Matthew on this whole topic of dealing with conflict. And I think one of, the, one of the things that comes away from Jesus' is, is observations is there, there's really, I think, a healthy two-step process that we need to keep in mind. I'm just going to keep this really simple and, and engaging conflict well. If I'm going to live in light of this new identity, this freedom that I now have in Christ, there are really two steps that I need to take when, when conflict becomes a reality in certain relationships. The first thing I need to do is, is just step back. I need to really step back. Remember what Jesus said? He said, okay, so in the, in the heat of the moment, before you just point out the speck in the other guy's eye, you need to take the plank out of your own. And I think part of stepping back is being willing to examine my attitudes. For me, a helpful question, you know, in, in these situations, I get frustrated or angry. The helpful question is why? Why am I angry? What is, what's so frustrated? Why am I getting frustrated with this person or with this situation or with this issue? Why am I angry? Because you see, I, I think often we need to recognize anger is this warning light on my dashboard that there's something I'm wanting that I'm not getting. So what is it? What is it that, what is, what is it that I'm wanting that this person is getting in the way of? Where is this anger coming from? What is that like? And for me, sometimes I, what I discover is it's, it's, it's just coming from unhealthy or unhelpful expectations. Right? I remember as a, as a parent with small kids when our three sons were very small, there were a few times when we tried to take them out to a nicer restaurant, a sit-down restaurant, and it was just a train wreck. Three young boys and... I mean, you, you know, we would end up eating in shifts. You know, one, one person do crowd control, the other person eat. And, and that's not enjoyable. And then you had to make multiple trips to the bathroom. And, and then they would just start climbing under the table. There was just something, you know, there was like this voice from the other side of the restaurant, come under the table, come on, you know, and some Pied Piper somewhere. And they were following the siren sound. And it, it was just, oh, my goodness. And at times, it got to be really frustrating. And we just realized, you know what? This isn't the season for this. 
we have to go to places that have playlands. I mean, that was just, it was like, that's the stage we're in. And, and I had to come to grips with, you know, I, I'm getting frustrated because maybe these aren't healthy expectations. Maybe this is unrealistic. Maybe I'm, I just need to acknowledge I'm in a different season than that kind of season. So I think it's important in conflict situations to really step back and be willing to examine my attitudes. Where, what's going on inside and where is this coming from? Because sometimes you, you really have to kind of, oh, I, man, this is, what's, this is what's coming up. And I need to kind of explore that further. I think also in taking a step back, we need to, we need to take responsibility. Once again, Jesus makes this really provocative claim, right? It's like he envisions the situation and he says, why are you so focused on the speck in this other person's eye when there's a log in your own? And, and what he's doing, he's making the helpful observation, among other things, that in conflict situations, it's so easy just to lock into what this other person is doing. It is so easy to, you know, here's what he's doing, here's what she's doing, here's what my spouse is doing. Here's what my kids are doing. And we kind of just lock into that without ever asking the question, you know, am I contributing to this in in some way? What does that look like? Recently, I had a situation where someone was frustrated with a decision that had been made here and raised some questions about that. And you know, maybe my, to be honest with you, when I heard about it, maybe my initial response was, oh my goodness, that's just not that big a deal. Why would you get upset about that? But the more I reflected on it, the more I realized I really hadn't communicated that decision well, the rationale behind it. So we just, we just had to get together, you know, and talk about it and have coffee. And then just over the course of that, I just had to say, look, I'm sorry. Uh, This just, this wasn't, I didn't communicate this well. And so let me give you a little bit more of the backstory. So in, in, if I'm going to live in this freedom that Christ provides, I think part of that process of dealing with conflict well is just being willing to take a step back. And see, here's, the, here's just the amazing thing about this freedom. This freedom really now does, enab- it empowers me, it gives me the opportunity to, to, you know, to look inside and at times maybe see some dark stuff without being fearful of it because I realize that relationship with God has been established by what Christ has done. This gives me the freedom to really to step back and say, well, have I really contributed to this in a, in a non-defensive way? Because really, because once again in this freedom, who I am is now grounded in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So when we embrace this freedom that Paul, you know, is when, when we're willing not just to get stuck in the past that Paul calls about and refers to as the law, there's this freedom that we now have to, to step forward. Or excuse me, to step back. But then I think there's also this freedom to step forward. I mean, it's interesting, whenever Jesus talks about conflict, he eventually gets to the idea of you need to take action. You need to engage this person. You need to step forward. And thinking about what that looks like, you know, to me, one of the, the most simple yet transformative principles is this. We need to talk to the person, not about them. We need to talk to the person, not about them. It's such a simple principle. 
but it really can be so transformational. Because isn't the case sometimes we get frustrated in relationship and if you're not careful, you find yourself talking to somebody else in an ongoing way about the frustration, but never really having the conversation with the person involved. That's just, that's not healthy. That gets stuck in this old way of doing things that Paul says leads to dissension, strife, discord. Likewise, uh, you know, I... If you hear someone doing this, let me challenge you. If you hear someone that keep going on and on about this, this hard situation, but they really haven't engaged the person or they got upset with a decision, but they haven't talked to the people that were involved in making the decision at church, at work, at school, or whatever, you just need to encourage them. You need to have this conversation. But if I'm going to have this conversation, what exactly does it, it look like? Well, let me just share some observations that I found helpful from author John Ortberg. I mean, let's just talk through kind of a conversation for a moment. For instance, let's suppose I, you know, let's suppose a few weeks ago that, you know, I was in a group or, or maybe online with some people and maybe the conversation got, you know, just uh, a little too sarcastic and maybe pushing, we were, people were pushing too hard back and forth and joking with each other or, you know, calling names or making fun of something. And maybe I was part of that. And suppose there was someone else, you know, I had a friend that's part of that conversation, either online or in person. And he's like, the next time I see this person, something is clearly wrong. <laughs> they're distant or they, you know, they're avoiding me. So I realized I need, I need to have that conversation. So what does it look like? Well, just think about these observations. First, I think start by affirming the relationship. Start by affirming the relationship. And I think particularly if if we're fellow Christians, let's acknowledge, you know, just, I think just even in my head, I just need to realize, okay, this has been frustrating, but you know, we're both followers of Jesus. So start by affirming the relationship. Secondly, I think put the conflict in perspective. You know, this, this, I don't know if you remember this, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had this interaction and it maybe got a little bit out of hand and, and I don't want to make a, too much of a big deal out of it, but I also don't want it to, to be some kind of wedge that starts to affect our relationship. So then just talk about what happened. You know, here's what happened. You remember, we kind of got, we kept going back and forth and, and then somehow some, you know, I said something and other people jumped in and, and since then it just feels like you've been distant. So talk about what happened. Express your feelings about what happened. You know, the, since the last, since that happened, it just feels like, it kind of feels like I've had to walk on eggshells a little bit because I'm not quite sure where you're at and you seem frustrated and you're kind of avoiding me. And, and so when you do that, I just, I, I'm just, I'm just sensing something's wrong. Now, I don't have to go after the person, but you know, this is, this is how I'm perceiving the situation. I even think about it, really a helpful conversation. A friend of mine had with me several years ago. He said, George, you know, sometimes in conversations, here's what you do. Sometimes in conversations, you check out, you get locked onto an idea and you're no longer fully present in the conversation. And when you do that, here's how, here's how I feel. Here's how, how other people can feel. And it was just really helpful. So talk about what happened. Express your feelings about what happened. Take ownership for your part of the conflict. You know, I, I know I probably pushed, I pushed the conversation too, and I, 
I'm sorry I got so sarcastic that that other people were offended in the process. Be clear about what you want from this person. You know, I'd appreciate it just, you know, if this happens again, if we could just talk about it and, and not just, you know, sweep it under the carpet, but can we talk about this in the future in, in a healthy way and practice verbal discipline. Avoid sarcasm, sweeping generalizations, cutting remarks. So those are, those are just some things to think about. Okay, here's how do I have that kind of conversation? And as you think about how you can have those conversations, just remember this as well, and this comes through in the teachings of Jesus, aim at reconciliation. Aim at re- reconciliation. In Jesus' different examples, this was always the desired outcome. Now, frankly, sometimes it's not going to happen. And some of you have faced conflict and, and there's some deep hurts in your life that are so traumatic that it's, it's even too complicated for you to work out in a one-on-one situation. Others need to help you. And, and perhaps they're so complicated that there are situations where there will not be reconciliation. There's some situations where we're able to reach forgiveness, but reconciliation doesn't become part of the process. And those are really two different things. But nonetheless, if possible... Reconciliation is always the goal. So let, let's, let's go back to where we started, right? We, we started, spent some time just acknowledging, you know, conflict's a part of human experience, part of church, but it can be hard, and it can be hard for a variety of reasons. Hard because we haven't always seen it modeled well. But Paul warns us, if you're not careful, you know, as believers in Christ, we just get stuck in this old way of doing things. Get stuck in the flesh, which is this brokenness that, that only over time just produces <laughs> torn people where the stuffing comes out. And so his challenge is recognize you've already got this gift. If you're a believer in Christ, you've already got this gift, this freedom. So lean into it. Recognize it's a freedom that enables you to look within and really take time just to see what's going on in these hard situations. It's also a freedom that can empower you to approach others in, in a non-defensive, a non-antagonistic way, just to say, can we talk about this and what it was like? Can we talk about what it might look to handle this differently in the future? As you think about this freedom that Christ gives, my final question to you is simply this. Is there some place in your life, some relationship, some issue where even now you really need into this freedom that only comes from Jesus? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as as we've acknowledged this morning, um, conflict can be difficult for a variety of reasons. Even in church sometimes because we feel embarrassed that there's conflict. It, it's hard at times because we haven't seen it modeled well and we've, we've developed unhealthy patterns even in our own lives of dealing with it. But Father, I pray we would just be gripped by this idea that there is a freedom in Christ that can move us beyond old ways of doing things. There's a freedom that, that comes from Christ that can empower us to look within and step back, that can empower us then to to step forward 
even in hard situations, in a way that we are seeking the best for someone else. Father, I think for some of us right now, maybe there's situations where this, this is a reality. And I pray that even now, just in the quietness of this moment, we might begin wrestling with, okay, so what does it look like for me in this situation? What does it look like for me to live in this freedom? I pray that your spirit would just just begin to give us a passion and vision for what that could look like. For some of us, that's that's some long-standing relationships. For some of us, that's maybe how we engage our spouse or family members. For some of us, that's these certain relationships in our lives where it's just, we just get stuck sometimes in unhealthy patterns. Father, may we embrace the freedom that only comes from Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Remember, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And because of that, we can love one another deeply, even in the midst of conflict.